Lord, we draw near to you and we declare your praise. We draw close to you and we acknowledge our need. Will you do that right now, brothers and sisters? Maybe wherever you are in your home or wherever you're connecting with this, there's a place where you could draw a little closer to God. If you're seated, maybe you can kneel. If it's difficult for you to kneel because of where you're at or because of your physical condition, maybe it's just a bowing of the head. Maybe it's an opening of the hands. It's not so much the particular posture you take, but do something physically right now that acknowledges an inner truth. Lord, I'm opening myself to you right now. I'm making myself available to you in a deeper way. I'm putting over into your hands the things that I'm worried about. I know the scripture says to do that. The scripture says that I'm supposed to cast all my cares on you, Lord, because you care for me. The scripture says that I should make my requests known to you through prayer and then feel your peace and know your presence. So that's what we are doing right now, Lord. Let your holiness, your righteousness invade our space, infiltrate our mind, our body, our worship. We belong to you. Sometimes in a worship service, there's a moment of quiet. It's not common on a social media platform, which exists to make noise, to speak, to communicate. Nothing wrong with that. But when do you ever have silence on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram? There's a problem, right? But in the house of the Lord, there are times of silence. The book of Revelation talks about silence in heaven. And there's something holy. Silence is not empty when it's in the presence of the Lord. Silence is reverence when it's happening before the king. Take a moment of silence, right? Put away any distraction. Let the Lord speak to you. Here is what I hear the Spirit saying to the church. It's the voice of Jesus. And he's saying, I'm here, I'm with you. And you know that many of you just heard that from him right now. Many of you felt that from him right now. An embrace of invisible arms, an internal hug, a quiet, confident, present peace 
you can't explain, you can't understand. There's no difference between your circumstances 10 minutes ago and right now, but there's an awareness of his presence that he's bringing. It's a gift, it's a grace of his, and how grateful we are for it. Wherever you are right now, whenever you may be watching this, participating with us, remain in his presence and let his presence remain in you. Hallelujah. It's Palm Sunday. That's the Sunday that initiates what we call Holy Week, the Passion Week, the week that leads up to Easter. One week from today is Easter. That might be hard to believe, not only because it's always amazing how quickly the time goes, and on any given Palm Sunday, we could say, can you believe it's already Palm Sunday and only a week away from Easter? But because in this day and age, with everything that's going on right now, with everything that we're dealing with, with the, the, the so-called quarantine and the safer at home initiatives and so forth, there's a, 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 almost an inability to remember what day is it. I've heard that the news have started reporting, you know, that, that the leading headline may be today is Sunday, today is Monday, you know, just to know what day it is, right? So let alone the fact that it's Palm Sunday, just to know that it's Sunday is, uh, is news. It's newsworthy. Can you imagine how much our world has changed in such a short amount of time that people are so disoriented that we don't even know what day it is? It used to be that we were so busy we didn't know what day it was. Now we're so disconnected from our normal routine that we don't know what day it is. And yet I'll bet there's very few people out there that don't feel like you're still busy. People talk about uh, dealing with boredom. Of course, many of you are still working. Many of you are working in the medical community where you're in the front lines of service. Others of you are providing essential services that still continue uh, during this time. And you may be feeling not only the pressure of your normal work, but also the concern about what you're being exposed to in the course of that work and what you might be exposing your family or your roommates or, or, or your colleagues to. Let the peace of the Lord be with you right now because the Lord is with you, he's covering you. But if you're like me and you're working from home or if you're in the situation where you can't work at all, because some people have the type of work that simply can't be done from home, or uh, sad to say, some people don't have their work right now because their work has concluded. And you may be really concerned with, how do I deal with this, this situation, a lack of provision? Let the peace of the Lord stream into your life today. Provision comes from God. He will take care of you. It may be that the present circumstance you're in and the stresses you're feeling have very little or even nothing to do with COVID-19 and the coronavirus. It may be that you're dealing with a personal loss right now, a loss of a loved one. It may be that you're dealing with uh, health issues unrelated to the pandemic. But you may feel like, hey, world, remember me? I've got a different condition, but it's just as worrisome to me. Let the peace of the Lord come and be present with you today. It's the Lord who puts everything into balance. It's the Lord who makes everything right. And it's the Lord who sets the times and seasons. So even if you forgot, he hasn't, that today is Palm Sunday. Today is a day in which we remember how our Savior rode into Jerusalem, ready to give his life, being acclaimed by the crowds, being led by the Spirit 
being called by the Father to give everything of his life, literally of his blood on the cross for you, for me. Hallelujah. Once again, we are going to take communion together today. Say, didn't we do that last week? Yeah, we're doing it again this week. We're going to do it every week. Why? Because I want to strain your resources? No, I hope it's not too difficult for you to get a little bit of bread or a little bit of cracker and juice. I'm not saying that facetiously or in a cavalier manner. I know it's tough to get stuff these days. So I'm hoping that it's not too much of a challenge for you to do that. As I've said before, it's not so particularly important what the actual elements are that you have. It can be a Ritz cracker. It can be a bit of matzah. It can be a piece of Melba toast. It can be a stale piece of bread. But have some bread. Have some juice. If you don't have grape juice, use some kind of juice. Use something that can be representative to you of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. But why are we doing it every week? Well, first of all, you can't commune too often with the Lord. It's not as though you can do it too much. You can do it too little. It is possible not to take communion often enough. I don't know what that measure would be, but I can tell you this. If you're not doing it, if it's not happening, then enough. But it's not, it's not really possible to overdose on the Lord. Hallelujah. There's no limit on the Lord and there's no limit on how deeply you can go in him and how deeply he can go in you. But you don't need to feel as though every second you have to be dining at the table of the Lord in the literal act of the of the sacrament of communion. But I think that in season, as I've said before, when we're not able to be physically present with one another, we can have the physical presence of Christ here with us. And when we do that, it physically connects us. I said, whatever it was, two, three weeks ago, March 15th, the last Sunday that we were able to gather in any number at all in our sanctuary until now, not the last ever. We will come back. We will be there again. But I said on that, on that Sunday, on March 15th, I said um, that there is something very important about having a physical presence with one another. And that remains true. And yet right now it is also really important to recognize that the physical distancing is wise. And I wanna say it's essential. So there are activities that, that cause us to, um, to, to go out and to interact. You've got to get groceries. There's times when you do that, but there's wise way to, ways to do that. If you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're a phlebotomist, if you're, um, uh, if you're a police officer, you've got to go out and you've got to interact with people, but there are wise ways to do that. But if you don't have to go out and you don't have to interact with people, it is wise. And I, I even want to say it is of the Lord for you to stay at home now, not out of fear, not cowering in, in place saying, oh, I'm so afraid of what might happen to me, but recognizing I want to contribute to the safety of the world right now. And the best way that I can contribute physically to that is by being home so that I'm not adding my exposure into the mix and I'm not becoming one more person who might be infected or who might infect another and put that much more burden on our system. So it's good for us to be physically distant right now. And yet in worship, we wanna be physically present. Hallelujah. The Lord knew that not just in this circumstance, but in every circumstance, there would always be challenges to that. 
But wherever anyone says, I want to join with the body of Christ, even if you are like Paul in prison and you literally can't be with anyone else, you still, if you have food, if you have drink, you have the table of the Lord. You have the body of Christ universal right there physically present with you. So that's number one. We are communing at the table of the Lord because it is a way to be physically present with one another. Two, over and over again, we are told that the presence of the Lord that is in his table, that is on his table, that is in the bread and in the cup, is a healing presence. He is Yahweh Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals your disease. Hallelujah. What a name to glorify him in this season and this time to recognize that he's the God who heals our diseases. So we want to receive the medicine of the Lord, the manna of heaven, the bread of heaven, the seed of health and life that is in the bread of heaven, that is in the cup of the covenant. And that's another reason why we're partaking of the table of the Lord. But not only will we participate every Sunday, which means this Sunday, which means next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but this Friday, we are also going to have our Good Friday service. And we're going to do it just like this. So turn to the person next to you. It can be your brother. It can be your dad. It can be your mother. It can be your sister. It can be your daughter. It can be your poodle. It can be, as I like to say, your cup of coffee. That's not a person, but it's something. And tell them, we're going to have service this Friday. We're going to have service this Friday. You better believe it. 7 p.m. Because all of our evening services right now in the season are at 1900 hours. It's part of our COVID-19 initiative. It's part of that collaborative way of bringing everything into some kind of alignment while we feel this distance in so many other ways. And so at 7 p.m. this coming Friday, that's Friday, April 10th, we are going to have our Good Friday service online streaming, just like we're doing right now. You can go to the website and stream um, or the platforms that it's streaming to. If you aren't able to be uh, participating live, then there will be a recording of it, and you can do that. The series that I'm beginning today will continue on Good Friday and conclude a week from today. The series is called The Harvest of Heaven. Will you say that with me? Let's say it together. The Harvest, harvest of, heaven. of Heaven. Let's do it one more time. The Harvest, harvest of Heaven. There is a harvest going on right now. It really is. There is a harvest in the spirit. But it's also true that the story of the Passion Week, the story of Jesus arriving to his people, arriving to his hour, the appointed time for his sacrifice, arriving to his cross, arriving to his grave, reviving out of his grave, and resurrecting to the world is a story of harvest. It's a story of a seed that is sown. And Jesus says, the seed that is sown is a seed that dies. But unless it dies, it can't be sown. And if it's not sown, it can't be grown. And it's only the seed that is sown and grown that will eventually produce the fruit that is shown. Today on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about the seed that is sown, the life of Jesus, 
that is being offered to his people. This Good Friday, we're going to continue in the Harvest of Heaven series talking about the groaned. But here, I'm playing on that word in a different sense. The scripture describes how when Jesus was on the cross, he groaned. And you can imagine why. The physical extremity of what Jesus suffered goes really beyond almost anything that you and I could imagine. It is a physical trauma of the most extraordinary kind of proportions. Enervating, that means fatiguing. Literally, he is sweating and bleeding out his life, crowned with a crown of thorns, whipped with whips of, of metal and, and nail and sharp implement, beaten with fists, spit upon. And yet there is also the emotional extremity of what he experiences on that terrible Friday that we call good because of what God did through it. But what he experienced was rejection. Those who loved him ran away in fear, seeking to protect themselves and abandoning him, except for a few. And that too was emotional trauma for him. Can you imagine how terrible it would be if everyone turned your, their back on you except your mother and you had to watch your poor mother as she grieved, looking at you as you died? If you think that doesn't break a son's heart, a person's heart, you know it would. And here also to be rejected and reviled by everyone, your own people, your own countrymen, your own nation, and then the people in oppressive authority over you. The Jews reviled him. The Romans reviled him. The crowds reviled him. His friends betrayed him. Literally Judas turning him in for money. No one has ever known the kind of betrayal from every corner that Jesus knew. But all of that, all of that, the ocean, the tidal wave of that trauma is as nothing to what Jesus experienced that I truly believe no other human being has ever yet experienced in this life here on this earth. Jesus experienced God turning completely away from him. He experienced the forsaking by God. I believe that's true. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to pause and ask a question, friend. Was Jesus wrong? He was quoting scripture. If it's not enough for you that when Jesus says it, it is scripture, of course it is. How about the fact is a piece of prophetic utterance from the Lord that had existed hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It is a true word. Some would say it's Jesus describing his experience. I think it's more than that. I think it's Jesus describing a reality, that Jesus was forsaken by God. How can that be? I don't know, but I'll put it to you in these terms. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And God's response 
to sin is annihilation and separation. Jesus experienced the wrath of God, which is real. Oh, is it real? And it all fell on him. Even though all he had ever deserved was the love of God, because he himself is God. And the glory of who God is and what God does and how God lives, that is the glory which Jesus had shared with the Father from before to began. And on the cross, relationship was heard. For one reason only. for us. The groan that Jesus issued from the cross was not the groan of a man suffering from physical pain alone. Not the groan of a man experiencing the emotional stress of total abandonment, of complete and justice for him that was supposed to provide us. Not only the death rattle of a dying, it was the groan of God being rent to, as it were, in order to pour out life for the sake of his people. Hallelujah. There's such a deep mystery there that you and I may never, ever come to the bottom of it. But you and I have to understand in order to believe and to receive everything of what God has for us. It is out of that groan, out of that death, that the fruit of life is brought forth at resurrection. Eternal life springs forth. So this is the focus of our week. And I'm, I'm calling you to walk through this week in a way that walks through these thoughts and ideas as more than just a rehearsal of things past, but an application of things present and a preparation for things to come. I want to say that again. In this Holy Week, in this Passion Week, passion meaning a deep experience of the love and the life of the Lord, together with him, together with one another, through prayer and through our worship. We will be remembering what has been done, but applying it presently to what's going on. There is a need for the passion of the Christ in the world today. And you and I are the body of Christ in the world today. So the passion of the Christ, the spirit, the love of the Lord, and the pouring out of his life, that is to happen through you and I right now, through our prayers, through our actions, through our attitudes, our relationships, this week and every week. And then there is also a positioning of ourselves to look ahead for what is to come. There is something deeper going on right now, and only in the Lord 
can you and I find it. Only in the Lord can we move beyond the turmoil of the surface and see what is going on underneath. If you've ever been at sea in a storm and you're somebody that can go diving, you'll know a reality that the storm that is on the surface, though it has impacts all the way down, there is a peace, a calmness down deeper in the waters. If you dive down, there's a stillness. All that turmoil on the surface is very different as you go deeper into the waters. Rising up above the surface is not quite the same. The clouds, the storm, the wind, the rain, it's not just on the surface, but above it. But underneath, down deeper, there's a stillness, there's a silence. And I wanna say that this is an analogy for finding a deeper place with the Lord, a deeper presence of his holiness. So I want to uh, turn to the preaching of the word at this time, praying that you and I would walk in that deeper place, live in that deeper place, and hear from him today in that deeper place. But before I do that, a couple of practical announcements. Once again, I've mentioned that we have our service coming up on Good Friday, but we still have our Wednesday night prayer meeting as well. We're going to be on Zoom and we have um, upgraded our Zoom account. So we're gonna be able to have a longer prayer meeting. We're gonna be able to have worship as part of our prayer meeting. We're gonna have a little bit of teaching in the word, but it'll still be on Zoom so we can still see one another's faces. If you want to, you don't have to, um, but it's something that you can do. And uh, so that you can also talk, you can share. We have other people pray. We'll have other people read scriptures. We have a chat feature there as well. And uh, that's something that we find very valuable. So really encourage you to be a part of that. That is something that you can only participate in live. But because we'll be going longer, um, if you're not able to join until a little bit later, that's okay. Go ahead and join. You can join into the Zoom meeting at any time. If you want the access details, you just go to our website. It's on the events page. You can click through the homepage to get there and you'll see the, the access details. If you haven't used Zoom before, um, it's really pretty user friendly. It's not difficult. Just give yourself a chance to, to get acclimated to it. If you need a little help with that, you can email us. You can text me or call me or text one of your ministry leaders. Uh, all of the pastoral team are familiar with using it. We had a pastoral team Zoom meeting yesterday that was great. I'm so grateful for our pastoral team, for our staff, uh, and the way that uh, you all are holding together in the midst of these circumstances. So you can use Zoom. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can use Zoom. And it's nice to see each other's faces. I'm going to ask my family to come on over. I like to to uh, smile and wave at you all every week. Can we do that? We we just want to say mabuhai, welcome to our home, and uh, and thank you for welcoming us into your home. Peter, why don't you come on this side? We'll all be on one one side here. Good morning. You guys want to say anything? Good morning. Good morning. We miss you. Good morning, TCF family and those streaming online. We love you. We pray for you daily. And we know that God's got you in this season of time. Hallelujah. You guys want to say anything to the kids? How about the... Okay. <laughs> we know there's kids from the, from the classrooms that they help in that are out there and they want to say hi. All right, bless you guys. We love you guys. I love you. Hallelujah. Well, I have to do a little um, fancy footwork here.
and bring my slides up for you, which you know I like to do. And uh, as I as I do that, uh, <laughs> what was it? There was a skit where they used to say, "Talk amongst yourselves." Just talk amongst yourselves. Oh, by the way, I was mentioning about taking communion. So this would be a good point. If you don't have your communion elements ready, but you want to get those ready, take a minute and uh, and grab that stuff. Because after the preaching of the word, we are going to um, we're going to have uh, communion together. I'm trying to close as many windows as I can on my laptop because I find that that's where I get a little bit uh, confused sometimes. I know you're saying you could never be confused, Pastor Court. Actually, somebody out there was saying, you mean there's times when you're not confused? Every now and then I, I have a clear thought. Hallelujah, the harvest of heaven. You know, I've been thinking in these weeks so much about this call of the Lord to us about harvest. I really have peace in the Lord about what's going on, but I want to talk about today why we have peace. Because I, I, I had a word from the Lord yesterday that uh, was something that he was speaking to me personally. When I, when I say that, I know that most everyone in our family of uh, faith, our church community, uh, understands what I mean by that. But allow me to, to describe for a moment what I mean when I say that I have a word from the Lord. I mean that in my time of prayer with God, I have a sense of communication from him that's internal. I don't mean that I heard something audibly, although I intend to this reality that God can do. That's, I think, extraordinarily unusual, but absolutely possible, and it does happen. Um, but this is not some experience of, of uh, lunacy, you know, hearing voices um, and, and uh, looking for, um, you know, crazy signs. This is a very natural, normal, sane experience. In fact, it's probably the sanest experience that we can have. And it's born out of a relationship with the Lord that he innates, but which is available to receive, fostered by real word if we're going to hear from him. That's fostered by praying. We need to have communication with him if we're going to hear from him. How can you ever hear from somebody you don't talk to? Never call anybody up, not going to hear what they have to say. If you never go and visit somebody, you're not going to see their face. It's the same with God. If you're not calling him up in prayer, you're not coming to the house of the Lord, to the place of the Lord, your prayer closet. How is it that you're going from him? How is it you're going to see him, quote unquote? But there is also this reality. We need to be reading the word. We need to be praying. We need to be listening. This is something that I think a lot of us often neglect. 
even those who read the word and like I said, it's very rare to have a moment of silence in social media. We are social creatures. We are also selfish creatures. I'm a selfish guy. You, if you're being honest with yourself, have a tremendous degree of selfishness that just runs like a rich ribbon within you of pride and self-centeredness. That's true, isn't it? It's true of me. You say, well, I know it's true of you, but <laughs> I'm a different story. No, you're not. We're all like that. The reality is, even when we come to the Lord, we often come selfishly. Thank God, quite literally, that he's patient with us. But you know, sometimes I think what God wants to say to us is, will you be quiet for a moment? The scripture puts it this way. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, there's an experience of his presence and a knowledge of the Lord that only comes in silence, that only comes in stillness. Reading the word, praying, listening for God, to God. If those three things are a part of your life and you're someone who's dedicated your life to Jesus because you realize that he's poured out his life for and to you, I want to promise you something. You will hear from the Lord. God speaks. You'll sense it internally. Sometimes it will be an emotional sense. Sometimes it will be a conceptual communication. An idea of something will come through to you. But there are times where there will be clear words. There'll be a voice, even if it's not audible. It's a voice like the voice of your own thoughts in your mind, but you know it's not your thought. You know that it doesn't come from you and you know that it reflects the Lord because it's consistent with his word, because it's consistent with his will, because it's consistent with his spirit. And yet it will be revelation to you. And that's what I mean by hearing from the Lord. And so I heard from the Lord yesterday something that was for me, but it has applications for you, for all of us too. And the Lord was saying, now listen, this is me, Courtney, preparing you. Don't be discouraged by what I'm about to say. Don't be discouraged and don't think of it as defeatist thinking because it's not defeatist. Don't think of it as a curse because it's not a curse. But recognize it for what it is, a hard kind of truth. The Lord said to me, I'll, I'll convey the, the essence of it. I'm not going to share the precise words because there's a purpose for that that I want you to trust me in. It's not for me to necessarily um, replicate the words precisely in this instance, but to convey the message. And the message was the next two weeks are going to be rough. The next two weeks are going to be hard for your world, for your nation. I pray, as I've shared this with some other people, that it's a message along the lines of Jonah, who went to Nineveh and said, you are in for a disaster. And yet the disaster that Jonah predicted and prophesied didn't come to the degree that Jonah had declared because the people, when they heard the message, responded with repentance and prayer and it changed the algorithm. It changed the outcome. So I pray that that would be the reality. But at the same time, I believe the Lord is saying to us, brothers and sisters, people of the Lord, don't be discouraged 
by what you see in the immediate days ahead, even if the immediate days ahead are very dark, even if they hold death, because they do hold death. There's death ahead. It breaks my heart to say that. But wait a minute. That's always true. It was already true. There's people dying every day. There's a wonderful article by Timothy Keller, I think one of the greatest Christian leaders and Christian followers of Jesus in the world today, this week, talking about how death is a wake-up call. Do you remember our message from Ephesians chapter 5 last week, a wake-up call from the Lord? He said that death is like smelling salts to rouse our soul. We live constantly trying to separate ourselves from the reality of death and forget the reminders of death. And right now, part of the great pressure that all of us feel is that the whole world is gripped by the recognition that death is around every corner. And even though if you look at the numbers of people that have died in this pandemic, it's it's a horrifying number in the hundreds of thousands. That's hundreds of thousands of irreplaceable lives. There's no way to put a real figure of value on that because it is it is beyond calculation by human terms, certainly. The infinite value of any human life is born out of the reality that every human life is of infinite value to God who is himself infinite. There is no way to, to, to describe how how grievous that loss is. But at the same time, to look at it now in very clinical terms, you take the number of hundreds of thousands, even if that number were to to, uh, compound out to millions or hundreds of millions, you're still talking about, and that's that's an extraordinarily negative scenario that I don't, I'm not forecasting at all. I'm simply saying that number itself would still be a very small percentage. Of, of human beings. Does that mean that those deaths and the many other people that mourn over them don't matter? Of course not. Heaven forbid that anyone would have that sort of notion. That callousness is completely foreign to the heart of God. But what it does reflect is that the fear that people are feeling right now is much greater even than the devastation that the disease causes. And the devastation it causes is bad enough. But the fear is related to something even greater. The fear is related to this knowledge that you and I don't like to think about. We're all going to die. And death is always right around the corner. And you never know when you're going to die. And the Lord doesn't want to put us to sleep about that. So if we are trying to placate our our spirits about that, if we're trying to calm our nerves about that and say, well, don't worry because you're not going to die from this and you're not going to die today or tomorrow, I think the Lord would say to us, you're you're fools to think that way. Remember the rich man in the story that Jesus told? He was wealthy. He talked about seed sown. He had grain stocked up for the seasons ahead. He had a, 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 a glorious compound, a wonderful farm, a tremendous property. He had many properties and holdings. He had servants. He had all the food he needed. He had all the money he needed. He went to bed feeling good and happy. That's the kind of peace that the world is clamoring for right now. We want to feel that. We want to feel that. But the Lord says, you fool, because tonight, your life is required of you. 
it would be good for all of us to wake up and recognize that no matter what happens with COVID-19 or coronavirus, we are all living unlimited time. And as believers, we're not callous or cavalier about death. Quite the contrary, we recognize death for what it is, the absolute ultimate enemy. But we also recognize that that enemy has already been defeated. But the defeat of death that happened on Calvary, the, the, the cross of Christ was placed on that mountain that we know as Golgotha, the hill of the skull, Calvary. That defeat was not one which means that you and I don't have to die. That's not what Jesus did. You think, well, it, it does mean that. No, it means that we don't have to die forever. It means that our death has been made purposeful because it's been joined to his. His death has turned our death into a transformation. He's taken what would have been an end and made it a new beginning. But if you and I think that we can have that new beginning without coming to the end of ourselves, we have completely misunderstood the message of the Messiah. Because Jesus said, if anybody would go the way I'm going, they'll have to pick up a cross and carry it. And the mountain that you carry it to is the mountain of Calvary. It's the place of death. Jesus said, whoever tries to hold on to their life will lose it. But whoever gives their life over to me in death will find life. They will live forevermore. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem and all the people were saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knew what many of them didn't, which was what they were saying was true, but the reason they were saying it was wrong. Turn to the, they were right, but their reason was wrong. They were right, but their reason was wrong. They were saying, save us, save us. But let me ask you a question. Save us from what? What were those people in Jerusalem saying save us about? Because Hosanna means save us. They were saying save us from our present problems. Save us from this enemy that is oppressing us and putting us to death. Our whole land is under the shadow of this enemy. And this enemy is not fair and is not right. And people are dying. And this is not what you desire. And it's not what you've declared, Lord God. And so save us. And all of that, all of that is true and accurate. But what they didn't realize was the enemy of Rome was just a shadow of the enemy of death that is itself just a shadow of the enemy of sin. What they really needed to be saved from was sin. And when Jesus made that quite clear, the day Sunday was followed, Jerusalem was followed by Jesus and cleansing cleaning out the temple because the temple had become populated with commercial enterprise. People who were operating businesses in the temple for a profit at the expense, particularly of the poor, who were trying to be devout and do what God had asked people to do in high holy days like the ones that we are in. They were coming to make their sacrifices, to give their offer to God, and people were charging them interest 
in order to sell them the, the livestock that was necessary or to exchange the coinage so that if they were coming from different parts of the ancient world, they could make their temple offering in the old kind of coinage that was allowed. And that was people taking the things of God and using them for own purposes, for own personal gain at the expense of others. And God's unhappy about that. And in doing that, they were bringing into the place of worship to the Lord, idolatrous invasion of deceitful practice, of sinful attitudes, and of a superficiality. Only being concerned with the, the surface of the world that they were living in and not thinking at all about the deeper things of God. And Jesus came and with his own whip, he whipped those money changers and turned their tables over and opened up the cages where the birds were held and opened up the pens where the animals and the livestock were kept and said, this is wrong. And I'm going to clean house. This is intended to be a house of prayer, but you've turned den of thieves and all save us. When they saw what salvation really looked like, which was a cleaning of the house, which was an internal cleansing, which was a confrontation with the things of sin, which are the things of death. They didn't like that because what they wanted was victory over the enemy that they saw, that they chose, but they didn't want anything to threaten their comfort, their routine, their way of life. And if something was going to threaten that, if someone was going to threaten that, then crucify him. And that's what happened. Who's the enemy over the land right now? Aren't there many hosannas rising up? Save us, save us. But from what? From COVID-19? That's not the real enemy. I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm saying it's not a problem for God. I'm saying that enemy is already defeated. But Rome was already defeated too. And yet those people, they were living under oppression. True. But hey, Jesus himself was living. Jesus had been ministering powerfully for three and a half years and had Rome hindered it, had Rome stopped it, was there, oppressed Israel all that time. Jesus was busy saving people's souls, teaching them the truth, feeding the hungry, clothing the needy, healing the lepers, the blind, the deaf, raising the dead. Rome was no hindrance to the kingdom of God and neither is COVID-19, but sin, Sin will separate you from the kingdom of God, not because the kingdom of God cannot overcome it, but because the only pathway to the victory of the kingdom of God is through your own death. Death to yourself. You and I must die to the things of the flesh. Die to the fear of the world in order to come alive to the power of God. Don't be afraid of COVID-19, not because there's nothing to be afraid of there, but because the only thing that COVID-19 can do is kill you. And you've already died if you are in Christ. But if you are in Christ and you've already died with him, have you come alive? Is it Christ who lives in you now? Because if you are still trying to just live out our biological life, for what reason did Jesus rise again? You and I are meant not just to be saved, but to be transformed. And that transformation is here and now. 
Jesus saw what the people didn't see and moved towards what the people didn't see. But thank God that Jesus gave what the people couldn't give and did what the people couldn't do so that people like you and I can be saved. Well, the pastor gets going and gets off his train of thought. Hopefully the Holy Spirit, who is more powerful, uses the poor train of thought that this measly pastor has to bring some kind of blessing to his people. Lord, we're studying your word today and we're asking that as we do so, your revelation would be made known to us, that we would not labor just in the things of what we want and what we ask and what we expect, but that we would go deeper into the things of what you want, of what you ask, of what you expect and what you promise. And we glorify you you for it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want to talk about part one of our series today, the seed that is sown, this peaceful man of Galilee who comes to Jerusalem. As I do so, I'm, I'm asking us to focus on three simple realities that will lead us through this week to a place of resurrection and lead us through the time of head that is a it is a challenging time, but recognize that in the midst of hardship, there is a harvest. Just like on the reality of Good Friday, when every one of Jesus' followers thought the worst thing had come, what Jesus knew was the best thing was yet to be. Something deeper is going on on Palm Sunday than the people realize. When Jesus enters into the city, he enters weeping. They're rejoicing, but he is weeping. You and I, we ought to come to the heart of the Lord right now. Don't just speak with triumphalistic language about how God is our Savior. Let your heart be broken right now for the things that break God's heart. Weep and mourn over the land the way God is weeping and mourning over us. Because in that, in that attitude, there is a real repentance operates beyond just you and me. It goes deeper than just us. It spreads across the land. There are people in this world who have no idea of their sin because they live on the surface and they don't look deeper. They don't want to look deeper. They don't want to hear from God about what their sin really is and what it's really doing. But you and I, as people of God, we can intercede, repenting not only for our own sin, but for theirs. And because of the power of God, he does a deeper work. You see, something better is going down. When you and I live our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord, when we give our lives over to the things of God, even if we lose our lives, something better than just our life is going down into the earth and it's going to come up even greater. The seed that is sown in grief and mourning will be grown with fruit and glorious life. Something deeper is going on. Something better is going down. Something greater is yet to come. Our focus today is on the deep. Let's go deeper. Forgive me for how I'm going to butcher this language now. Sayang ang COVID-19 kung hindi lumalan Lumalan. Lumal. Lum, say it for me here. Lumalan. Deeper. Ang pananana palataya mo kay Jesus. 
This is what Pastor Loy Gachalian said. I love it. COVID-19 is wasted if your faith in Jesus does not deepen. In other words, I'm not saying, and I don't believe Pastor Loy from our uh, dear brothers and sisters in uh, PCF Manila, PCF Tondo, are saying that COVID-19 is from God. But what we're recognizing is there's an opportunity in the midst of this pandemic to perceive the things of God at work in our world at a deeper level. There is an opportunity to turn away from the shallowness of our lives if they are focused only on our comfort and turn to the depth of God that goes deeper than our pain, that goes deeper than our death and gets down into the roots of life to bring up the fruit of faith. Take the opportunity of this time to let the present circumstances draw you deeper into God and throw you onto his throne of grace and drive you into his arms of love and deepen you in the things of his word and his truth. Because otherwise, if all we're saying is peace, Lord, and comfort, Lord, we're not really letting this moment do the work that it could do. And we will hardly be able to carry out the work of the harvest that the Lord wants to carry out through and in us. That's what Jesus knew when he came riding on a donkey. The peaceful man of Galilee is a peaceful king of prophecy. He was prophesied in the Old Testament and his manner of arriving in Jerusalem demonstrates that he is this promised king. He is also the prophet who has come from Galilee. You'll notice in our reading today that the people of Jerusalem don't recognize who Jesus is, but there's lots of crowds that have come down from the north of Israel with Jesus from where he was raised, from where he is from, which is a region called Galilee, which is where the majority of Jesus's ministry and works had taken place. And those crowds make it known to the people in the city of Jerusalem, this is the prophet you've been hearing about. So here is the peaceful king that was promised, here is the prophet that has been told about. Here is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who is the savior of God, the promised Christ of Calvary. He's the one who made the world and he's come to the world that he made. But his own world says, who is he? And they don't recognize him and they don't know him. Let's take a look at the passage that describes Jesus's entry as the peaceful king who had been prophesied. It's in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, or you can look it up online, turn to Matthew chapter 21 and follow along with me as I read to you the first 11 chapters. As they, that is Jesus and his disciples and the crowds that were coming with them, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, this is a region just directly across the the valley uh, from uh, the eastern entrance to uh, Jerusalem. Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead saying, go to the village ahead of you and you'll find immediately a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you about it, just say that the Lord needs them and they'll send you right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet and here, the prophet Zechariah is being quoted, Zechariah 9.9. 9. Say to daughter Zion, see, 
your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The point of Jesus riding on a donkey is that in ancient times, this is the way that a king would enter his own kingdom. There were two kinds of entrances that a king might make into a land in ancient days. One is, as a, as a general at the head of his armies, coming to conquer that land. A strong king riding among his troops would be riding on a horse or riding on a larger beast of burden that demonstrated, I'm here not to help you, but to conquer you. I'm not here to give you life, but to kill you if you oppose me. And in most instances in the ancient world, if you didn't oppose him and if you yielded to him, it was simply to enslave you. But in any case, it was to come and rule over you. But it was not a king that you were glad to see coming. It was a king from a foreign land coming to take charge of yours. Or if it was a king of your own land coming on a horse, it was a king coming to say, listen, you people are out of line. Listen, you people aren't abiding by what I've said, and I'm come to fight you and to conquer you. But when a king would come to people of his own land and he would come in peace, he would make it clear he didn't come to oppose them. He didn't come to fight them. He came to give them greetings. He came to give them the blessing of his presence. Often there would be feasting. Often there would be gifts. Often there would be um, times of celebration. And when a king in ancient times would come to his own people in that way, he would come on the donkey. It was a sign, I'm not coming in war, I'm coming in peace. It's the difference between someone coming with armament in their hand, like a sword, or coming with an open hand, a handshake, or a wing hand, and a smile to say, I'm here in friendship, I'm here in love, I'm here to give good news. Jesus came like that. The prophecy of Zechariah was a prophecy that God would visit his people through his appointed king, not to harm his people, but to help them. Not to hurt his people, but to bless them. And so this is the way in which Jesus came. The disciples followed Jesus' instructions, therefore, and brought the donkey. They put their cloaks on it to make a, a nice kind of saddle for Jesus. And a large crowd goes further than that and spreads their cloaks on the road. In fact, other people were cutting branches from the trees. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, because they were cutting those palm branches from the trees and laying them down on the road like a red carpet. That's the, the parallel, like paving a way, saying, not only do we want to make the way smooth for you, but we honor you as our king and waving those, waving them to make it known to all the world. Here's our savior, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. But now look at this, Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city is stirred up. Everybody wants to know, who is this? And the crowds that are coming with him answer, this is the prophet come from Galilee. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I wanna talk about this, who is this question in coming to the tail end of our message today because it's actually a through line that will carry us through this week through this sermon series and through this season because it has to do with the unknown Christ. Who is this? I, I want to 
say something that can be hard to hear. The name of Jesus is probably the best known name probably in the world. Certainly in the United States, it's got to be very high on the list. You would be hard pressed to go anywhere in this nation and find anyone who doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. I mean, if you ask people, do you know who Jesus Christ is? People would be able to say, that's, that's the guy from the Bible. That's someone who they might say he lived 2,000 years ago. They might say people think he lived 2,000 years ago, but he's just a figment of their imagination or he's just a, a creation of literature. In other words, I'm not saying you can't find people who don't believe in Jesus. That's all over. But it's very hard to find somebody who doesn't know about Jesus. Now, they are out there and somebody out there saying, oh, you know what? There's a lot that don't know. And it's true. So keep making him known. Amen. Amen. But the reality is in our nation today and in most of the, the developed world today, Jesus is very well known. And there are many people who worship Jesus raise the name of Jesus, who wave the flags, display on Sunday. But it is also still true. There are very few people in the world who really know who and what the Christ is. I think it's sad to say that if we use the term church to the collective organization and organizations of people who say, I'm a Christian, there are arguably few Christians who really know what it means to say that Jesus is the Christ. Now, there are millions and millions of devout believers. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, knows who Jesus is. And when Jesus comes, Jesus himself is the one who tells the story that people gather around him and say, we're yours. We belong to you. What does Jesus say to them? Depart from me. I don't know you. You don't know me. My sheep know my voice. There's an unknown Christ, and he doesn't want to be unknown, and he doesn't need to be unknown. And part of our purpose in uh, this series of messages is that you and I would know that we know who Jesus Christ is, and that we would be his witnesses to make Jesus known to make the unknown Christ known. And so John chapter one, verses 10, 11, and 12 are gonna be themes that we move through in this series of messages. John one, verse 10. You've heard me quote these verses many times. I have found that in this season of my life, the Lord has really used these verses to speak to me in a powerful way. And maybe that's why they've become so dominant in my preaching and teaching. Um, but I make no apology for that because they are a part of the eternal word of the Lord. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He was the unknown Christ. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was the unknown Christ. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The unknown Christ, who was the, the, the peaceful king of prophecy, who was the peaceful man of Galilee, he becomes the Christ of revelation, 
who comes riding to his world on a horse and with a sword. And it's the sword of his mouth and it's the sword of his word. And that who is the Christ who is to come. He was in the world. He made the world. And the world didn't recognize him. You can see it in today's messages. This peaceful man riding in on a donkey is the man who was prophesied hundreds of years before. How could that be unless this is the word of God who was in the beginning with God and he was God and is God and all things were made through him. He came to the world that he made and he didn't come as a conquering king coming to kill and destroy even though he had every right to because the world he made didn't know him. The world he made rebelled against him. The world he made was broken and fallen and rebellious in sin. And he had every right to come with wrath and rage with a sword in his hand. But he came on the back of a donkey. He came with an olive branch. He came with the word of peace. He came with good news. He came with tears, not for himself, though he saw the cross even when no one else did. His tears were not for himself. His tears were for his own people who rejected him, who didn't even recognize him. He came to the world, but the world didn't know him. I'm going to ask if you would bring him in front of you right now. And by that, I mean, bring the body and the blood of Jesus to be in front of you right now. Bring the bread and the cup because we're going to conclude our time together. Thank you. We're going to conclude our time together with the unknown cross, the unknown Christ. If I show this to somebody in the world, if I go up and down the street, no, no um, precursor to this. I just say, what is this? Well, right now, people are going to say, get away from me. <laughs> we're, we're physically distancing, and I wouldn't do it. But even on any given day, if I came up and did that, people would be like, well, here's a kook. Here's a crazy guy, right? But let's just say that I'm in a place where we're having a conversation, and I lift you, and I say, what is this? Somebody says, a looker. I don't know. What cracker is it? But you know what? This isn't just a cracker. There's something deeper going on here. And when I eat it, I'm not just eating a cracker. There's something better going down inside. And when I eat it and I digest it, it just doesn't just go in and go out of me. There is something greater that will come forth from me. If you and I are just eating a cracker, it does provide some nourishment and it will pass through you. Another way of saying this is if you and I are just listening to sermons and reading scriptures and saying Hosanna, Hosanna, but it's all just in one ear and out the other, it's all just words, we feel it, but only at a certain level. And we don't recognize that there's something deeper going on then it's not just that Christ is unknown to us. It's that our lives reveal that we are unknown to him. 
In other words, we're not his unless something deeper of him is going down to us and greater of him is coming forth. Jesus said, I'll know you and you'll know each other by the fruit that is shown. And the fruit that is shown in your life and mine, it can't be shown unless there is a seed that is sown. The seed is Jesus, but it's not just Jesus. It's also you. It's his life and yours dying together. Jesus come and die for you and we didn't have to die. We're still going to die. Even if we don't, even if Jesus comes in five minutes before I finish and take this communion, Paul said, even if we don't all sleep, we will all be changed. Even if I don't physically die before Jesus comes in the clouds, I will experience a transformation that is akin to death. The transformation of death is something that is ahead of all of us. In other words, you do not get to Easter Sunday without going to the Calvary. You don't get to the resurrection without death. You cannot be resurrected in Christ if you have not died with him. But if you have died with him, then you don't just die, you live. Thank you, Lord, for this deeper. Open our eyes to who you are, not just to who we think you are, not to just the Savior that we want you to be, not just the Savior that gives us peace when we feel stressed, not just the Savior that gives us comfort when we're afraid, not just the Savior who says, don't worry, I'm your healer and I'll protect you. But you're also the Good Friday God of storms and clouds. You're not only the light of the world, you're the God in the dark. You're not only the loud voice on the mountain, you're the still small voice of the wind. You're not only the God of thunder and lightning, but the God of silence. You're the God of joy and the God of mourning. You're the Lord of the dance and you're the Lord of war. You're the King of kings and the mighty one. You're the humble, peaceful man of Galilee. You're the broken, bleeding, Christ of Calvary, you're risen of eternity. Save us from ourselves. Forgive us of our sin. Deliver us out of shallowness and our absolute addiction to comfort. Mature us so that we would be people who are strong, not because we don't think anything bad is going to happen to us, but because we know that no bad thing can overcome the good thing that you have already, the great thing that you already are. Because we know that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nothing in all of creation can possibly tear us away from the power of life that is your love. Plant the seed seed of that faith and the word of your life and the truth of your love into us now as this good piece of your body goes down into our body and makes us whole in you. Here is the cup of the Lord's new covenant. Jesus said, 
unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. That's Jesus saying, unless you participate in my death, unless you are able to see and you are eager to feed on the feast of sacrifice, you won't be able to be fed by the truth of my life. But if you will drink of this cup and drink of this blood, then I will abide in you and you will abide in me. And out of your inner being, rivers of living water will flow. What Jesus said was an offense, not just to people of Israel who understood that according to the ceremonial laws, what Jesus was saying was absolutely for you shall blood for the life is in the to eat um, forbidden flesh was to violate the things of God. But what Jesus was saying was an affront to the sensibility of any human being. Is this man actually saying that we should be cannibals? That's what the people said, because he was the unknown Christ. He was speaking, but they didn't understand. They heard, but they didn't. Understand. He was right in front of them again, but they didn't know. And they didn't realize he was saying was, unless you will die with me in me, you won't be alive with me and I in you. Here is his blood, and it's shed for you and for me for the forgiveness of sin, the healing of every disease, because every disease is just a shadow of death, which is a shadow of sin. It is the light of the Lord, and the light shall darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome. Lord, let your light be in us. Now you have received the seed that was sown and you have believed the word that was shared. Now you go and be the light of the world. You go and be the salt of the earth. You go and be the body of Christ. If you're with us, watching this now or at some other time and begun to recognize that Christ has been unknown to you, but now he is making himself known. Make yourself known to him. I don't mean that God doesn't see you. I mean exactly the opposite. God is standing at the door of your heart knocking. Open the door. Show yourself to him. Say, here I am, Lord. Here I am saying see not from what I saved from alone but from what you me from and deliver me not to what i want to come but to what you want to come not my will but your will be done let this mind be in you that was in christ jesus and the life of the lord will be in you too lord we give ourselves to you today yes. hard times are ahead lord but we're not afraid when people were shouting with joy and laughter about the things of this world, we knew that times of grief were ahead. But now that the world is mourning and weeping, we have joy within us. Not because we rejoice that anyone should 
mourn, but because we see the bright dawning of a new day. And we have the word of life and the good news. And now people are ready to hear it. When they were reveling in their parties and busy with all their activities, when they were caught up in their distractions, they didn't want anything to do with you. But Sometime in the uh, closing prayer, it looks like our connection dropped. The enemy always tries to, uh, to, to break something. Let me speak a benediction over you that may not have been um, transmitted. And it's our concluding time. The grace of the Lord, his peace and his power, his life and his revelation be upon you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No threat of death can overcome the promise of life that is not only out ahead of you, but alive within you. Go in the grace and the peace of God and live in his light and carry forth his word and be workers of his harvest for the fruitfulness of God will be revealed in and through you to a world in need, a world that he has come to save and to make new. Hallelujah and amen. We love you, PCF, and join with us in our Zoom call on Wednesday, join with us on our Friday uh, service, join with us on Resurrection Sunday. Amen.